Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good evening and welcome to this episode of Political Prisoner Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. Today's date is March 1st, 2015. Of course, I got Sister Amija riding shotgun. Let me unmute her uh, so we can hear her. Okay, uh, Sister Amija, you there? Good evening, Scotty. And how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm excited about the lineup for tonight and, um, you know, the potential that uh, Albert Woodfall could be released tomorrow. Right, and that's going to be the number one story that we talk about, um, the bail hearing, which will be occurring tomorrow for political prisoner Albert Woodfox. I got some audio um, that I have uh, obtained from the Internet, and um, I'll play that because you know a lot of people probably have not uh, heard of Albert Woodfox. We're picking up new listeners every day on um, Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, Sister Major, can you do us a favor? Cause that is really, really like loud. Uh, could could you uh, take care of that television, please? Sure. Hold on. Put me on mute real quick. Okay, I'll put you on mute, and I'll tell the listeners uh, what's going on. All right. So uh, this is what's up for tonight. Again, it is March first, twenty fifteen. My name again is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind these enemy lines. Um, this is the weekly broadcast of political prisoner radio um if you've never listened to this program before what we do is we discuss information and go into more depth on the issue of political prisoners and prisoners of war in this country um you may have never even heard that the united states has prison uh political prisoners they will talk about political prisoners that other countries are holding but they never acknowledge that they're holding political prisoners. Most of the political prisoners that they hold today come from the period of the 1960s, 70s, and the 80s. And, I mean, well, really, it's ongoing because we have new political prisoners created every year. When we look at people like Chelsea Manning, when we look at, you know, um, others, uh, economic, I mean, excuse me, environmentalists, uh, activists who have serve time uh for their activities to uh on, on the causes for which they believe so it's political prisons being created all the time uh but the most of the ones we talk about on this program uh come from the period of the 60s 70s and 80s many are elderly uh many of them are being tortured 
by through the means of solitary confinement. Now, just think about if you sat in a room uh, 23 hours a day by yourself, no contact with the outside ro- uh, world. I think some of those cells might be 16 feet by 9 feet. They're not very big, but that is your existence for 43 years, like in the case of Albert Wood Fox. I mean, what do you think that would do to your sanity? What do you think? And it's a testament to the strong will of, of these brothers that, you know, they haven't, you know, succumbed to uh, serious, 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 at least that we can see. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist, and I don't want to speak for them. But I would imagine, you know, that could have a huge impact on my psyche if I was mistreated like that for 43 years for a crime I didn't even commit. So we'll, we'll talk about Albert Woodfox's case. Again, I got some audio for him of the Rosmia Oda Defense Committee. Um, according to them, uh, she has been convicted. We'll get into some of the details later. Uh, but her attorneys have filed a sentencing memorandum, which is asking for the judge, which is presiding over the sentencing hearing, not to imprison her. She's a 68-year-old Palestinian-American uh, activist is how she is described. I don't know how she would classify herself. Um, but And they are also reporting that the prosecution in statements made to the court, right, um, trying to link her to terrorism you know, to get the the judge to sentence her beyond probably what the guidelines are. So we'll talk about that as well. There will be also a political demonstration occurring tomorrow uh, from 6 to 7 p.m. outside the Metropolitan Correctional Center, MCC, in lower Manhattan. I got a clip I want to play about that that uh, talks about, and it's from several months ago because we're hearing a lot in the media about um the Chicago police were running like a Guantanamo Bay light torture operation. Well, I found a video connected to the MCC that was made that was made seven months ago that describes it as the little Gitmo. All right. So this is um, just uh, some of the things that are coming up this week. Um, and also the uh, NYC anarchist Black Cross will be holding a letter writing um dinner uh coming up on the third yeah on the third all right sister Mija, we got you back yep i'm here okay great 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 so let's start off with with albert um wood fox um angola three news is reporting that um he will have his bail hearing tomorrow and so i guess the state of louisiana because we have been talking about this case in the past weeks uh Sister Mijo, but I guess they are still opposing his bail, right? What have you heard about that? Are they opposing his bail or what? Well, I think that some of the, the you know, that, that answer will probably will know tomorrow. For sure. Um, but, you know, whether or not they're going to, um, you know, stand or continue to stand in his way. Um, it's absolutely, you know, outrageous that his case has been overturned three times. You know, how many times do you have to prove that you're innocent um, to be released? Um, and, you know, just, you know, Bobby Jindal. <laughs> and he has a major role in the scenario that, you know, continues to 
you know, maintain Albert Wood Fox's ongoing incarceration and the legal system and the state's attorneys. And, you know, it's no different than what we're seeing with Sundiata Coley, where you have the judges, you know, telling uh, the system that this person should be free yeah. and that they'll be violated. Mm-hmm. Most certainly, um, you can find those similarities among, I would say, many other cases of people who, oh, yeah, who are classified as political prisoners and prisoners of war. Um, and right. he, he has specifically where we've had like really legal decisions coming from the judge and mm-hmm. those being their words that these people deserve to be released or this person deserves to be released. Or there's nothing legally or in the law that says you can continue right. to hold this person. But right. in case of exactly. like, like Sundiata Akoli, um, they ruled that he served his maximum amount of time that you can't keep right. denying him parole. If I'm not, if I remember correctly, isn't that what they ruled that he served all of his time that we can legally hold him for? Right. Yeah. And and in the case of Albert Woodfox, technically he's innocent, right? We can call him innocent because all of the convictions been thrown out. And again, right. I want to mention again, like I mentioned last week, even the widow of the prison guard who was killed, whose name I can't remember right now, um, believe is Mr. Miller or something like that. But anyway, um, even the widow. You know, cause most of the times in these cases, you have the person who was killed, family member arguing of, you know, right. to, to and, keep, and yeah. trying to be very vindictive. Marion Faulkner is the primary example of that with her hatred towards, you know, and her vengeance, uh, against Momia and Move and, you know, specifically knowing that Momia is innocent. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they know who, you know, killed Officer Faulkner. You know, and they made sure that that individual, you know, would never, you know, come forward. You know, she's she's one of those cases that you can see where, you know, they're extremely vindictive. I can't think of any other case with any of our other political prisoners knowing of any alleged families being that vengeful. Mm hmm. But, um, again, this is an anomaly because in this case, the person who was killed, and again, that's that prison guard, and um, yeah, his last name, yes, his name is Brent Miller, so I did remember it. Okay, yeah. So he was 23 years old at the time, and he was killed in 1972 in a Louisiana State Penitentiary penitentiary also known as angola a former plantation now is what we call a prison plantation um but yeah he was killed and his wife you know she believes in the innocence not only of albert but of you know of also uh brother king and as well as brother wallace who's no longer with us so so that's that's very rare and um so but we do have a couple of cases with uh, regarding our political prisoners where there's a few family members, you know, either a husband, a wife or a child, you know, is supportive of the freedom of our PP. Um, it's not something that is very well known. Um, but when it comes to like parole letters and things like that, it's when, you know, uh, these family members that our PP are you know, allegedly associated to will will come to uh, speak on their behalf mm-hmm. and speak to you know their innocence and support 
um, for their release. Um, this report comes from NOLA.com, and I just pulled it up. It was published in uh, this month. Well, excuse me, last month in February. Um, and it says, uh, in relation to this uh, man who was murdered, Brent Miller, it says the slain prison guard's widow, Tina Rogers, attended a rally in October 2013 with Angola 3 supporters demanding the state halt its attempts to keep Wood Fox incarcerated for her late husband's murder. She has said she believes Wood Fox and his co-defendant, the late Herman Wallace, were not involved in her husband's death and has previously called for their release. And so here you have the victim family like you would just, you know, uh, describing, and then you got Bobby Jindo, uh, whatever the state attorney's name is, and this whole system, this whole system that is putting pressure on them to make the moves. They call Bobby Jindo, let's face it, you know, um, he has no connection to this case, you know. When this, no, occur- when this occurred in 1972, he was a little boy. So why is he being vindictive and going along, you know, with injustice? It's because he's part of a system. He's part of a system. So here you got the victim's, uh, um, you know, wife saying release these men and so I, I'm saying, you know, even from a moral standpoint or a principle standpoint, why is the state of Louisiana opposing and wasting all his taxpayer money opposing, you know, uh, Mr. Wood Fox's release? And then on top right. of that, the torture. Now, I want to play this clip um, about the torture because this man has been held in solitary confinement for 43 years. And we've talked about the invasive um, um, body cavity searches that they put him through on a daily basis and it's no no call for it and again in that case albert wood fox actually you know as his prison activism the activism he was doing as a member of the black panther party in that prison chapter was you know to to stop that sort of uh degrading inhumane treatment of prisoners and he sued in the courts and won I, i'm not sure the dates Sister Major was that in the 70s or the 80s, whenever he won this case. And now he's being subjected to something that has already been determined by the courts to be illegal. Right. So the state, in effect, is is the one that's breaking the law right now. Right, and we know they're breaking international law, too, because the U.N. repertoire, Juan Mendez, said that anywhere beyond 14 days is considered torture. And that's by international standards. Oh, oh. So we've got hundreds, we've got thousands and hundreds, of, hundreds of thousands of people across this country being subject to solitary confinement and all the different euphemisms. I know there's at least two thousand people in Maryland that, you know, on any given day are in some form of solitary confinement, but. We use the word here as segregated confinement, which could be disciplinary, administrative, or protective custody. Speaking of Juan uh, Menendez, I'm going to go ahead and run this clip of him speaking about Albert Woodfox. Mr. Woodfox is spending his days in solitary confinement. I also understand that he has not been found uh, guilty. I mean, the, uh, his convictions have been reversed. And uh, the state is appealing them. So, in fact, uh, uh, he should be considered an innocent man until his uh, guilt or innocence is resolved. 
Mr. Woodfox is being held in conditions that amount to cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment, if not torture. Not only because there's no plausible reason why some additional punishment is being inflicted on them when his original punishment is at least suspect, uh, but also because of the length of time. Uh, there's no question that uh, his conditions inflict on him the kind of pain and suffering of a mental nature that is associated with torture, and I think that should stop. Now, Sister Omija, will you tell the listeners who is Juan Menendez? Um, Juan Menendez is the UN repertoire on. He has a, he has a very he has a very long title. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what does his job entail? His job entails um, specifically looking at um, international human rights abuse. On the behalf of the United Nations, right? Right. Right. And he is specifically taking a very strong stance on um, solitary confinement and all its uses within the United States. Uh, Juan Mendez um, is the repertoire. Hold on. I have a long title. <laughs> yeah, so so basically he's an attorney, we could say. Right, and he is he, an attorney. So Juan is a visiting professor of law at the American University, Washington College of Law, and the author um, of Taking a Stand, the Evolution of Human Rights. Uh, as of November 2010, he was appointed the UN Special Repertoire on Torture and Other Cruel, Inhumane, and Degrading Treatment or Punishment. He is the special advisor to the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court. He was also co-chair of the International Bar Association Human Rights Institute from 2010 to 2011. And until May 2009, he was the president of the International Center for Transnational Justice. And in the summer of 2009, he was a scholar in residence at the Ford Foundation in New York. Uh, concurrent with his duties, at the ICTJ, the Honorable Kofi Annan named Mr. Mendez his special advisor on the prevention of genocide, a task he performed from 2004 to 2007. But he has a very long history, and for 15 years he worked with uh, Human Rights Watch, concentrating his efforts on human rights issues in the Western Hemisphere. Two other points that he raised, though, well, not really two, but one point that he raised there is is the same question I'm asking. That's why I brought up the fact that Bobby Jindal was just a little kid, if he was born at all, you know, when uh, the Angola 3, which includes Albert Woodfoss, was framed. Um, so, you know, this, again, is the system. And like Mr. Menendez said, he said, first of all, the uh, conviction you know, technically he's innocent. So you got an innocent man or a man that, you know, technically the courts have said is innocent by throwing out those convictions, but you punishing him, you going the extra mile to punish him through solitary confinement. And he asking the question why? And I think everybody should be asking the state of Louisiana, why are they, what is this extra punishment about? I mean, 
what are your thoughts, Sister Amija? Why are they going an extra mile to punish Albert Woodfox? And, and, you know, we know like most of the political prisoners we hear about that's on the inside, they always have model records, you know, meaning that they don't get infractions, things of that nature. Uh, they're usually organizing for the betterment of the uh, population of prisoners through education and, and all sorts of things. And, and so why, why do you think they're going the extra mile? Where is all this hate and this vindictiveness is coming from? Right. I mean, you just said it, it's hate and vindictiveness. And what happens inside of the prison system when an inmate is given you know, the, um, uh, the administrative segregation or, um, uh, placed in, um, you know, disciplinary segregation or protective custody. They have, like, these little internal hearings, and when they have those little internal hearings is where they make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's not an outside body that comes in and makes any kind of decision. So this is specifically the correctional officers themselves making these decisions to violate uh, his human rights. And if there's not laws regarding how solitary confinement, um, you know, can be used or not used per state, then this is what these correctional officers, you know, are doing to not just RPPs, but, you know, inmates in general all across the board, uh, across the country. And as long as you know, they're allowed to get away with it, then they're going to do it. This is the maximum amount of punishment that a correctional officer can inflict on an inmate beyond the issue of the death penalty. And in many situations, we have inmates that die behind the walls um, that people never hear about or know about. You've got to either file Freedom of Information Act requests or go look through you know, the Bureau of Justice statistics to find just numbers. And, you know, you ever really, you never really hear about those things unless something happens to somebody and the family come out really strong and swinging at the system for a correctional officer killing somebody or another, you know, um, prison, prison worker killing somebody or just medical neglect. You know, which is all extension, like I see it as just as another extension of a different form of police brutality and the way that, you know, correctional officers are also part of the same unions as police. You know, it's just an extension of that. And that's a, that would, to, to me, that would be considered an in-custody death. Um, so it is very, it is vengeful. And, I mean, just look at the same situation that, you know, um, Maroon was in and him having a fight Russell to get Maroon out of confinement. Yeah. You know, and him winning, you know, his, his legal battle to get out of solitary confinement. And, um, there needs to be, you know, law governing this. I'm part of an organization called Social Workers Against Prolonged Solitary Confinement. And, you know, we follow you know, um, Mr. Menendez's, you know, recommendation of putting forth that, you know, we, we want to eliminate the practice, but specifically, you know, if it's going to be employed, it should only be employed in extreme scenarios where somebody could get hurt 
and no more than 14 days. You know, beyond that, you're violating, you know, you're violating somebody's human rights. You're violating them as a person. And, you know, mental illness is a factor. And that is well known that, you know, mental illness um, and (laughs) and creating a psychosis. um, Well, you say that you say that. And I just seen an article Mm -hmm. today. Oh, well, I didn't mm-hmm. see an article. Somebody tweeted an article. I bookmarked it. I haven't had a chance to read it, but mm-hmm. I was on Twitter earlier today and somebody tweeted that, you know, prisons are going to start, I guess, spending more money on mental health um in prisons. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the prisons create the mental health illness. Right. That was my response right. to that. So here is, you know, uh, you're talking about you're going to spend all of this money, you know, to do something, which to me, that's an acknowledgement that you haven't been providing, uh, me- you know, exactly. mental health exactly. services. So that, you know, that's an admission right there. But now, you know, you're the one who's creating the problems. And then now you're coming in like you're going to present, oh, you know, physical, a solution. Physical health problems, mental health problems, they're all systemic uh you know symptoms of being in, in incarcerated um and then beyond those physical and, and mental elements you know when you come out of the system if if you're able to come out of the system what you have to deal with when you come home and you know finding employment and get yourself together finding housing educational and training opportunities you know, it just doesn't, you know, all of those things, you know, eventually impact when somebody comes out, if they come out. Well, I just want to let the listeners know, if you want to add to the conversation, you can give us um, a call, 704-951-30. That is the studio line, 704-951-5030. If you're in on the conference line. Uh, and that number is 530-881-1400, access code 549-032-POUND. Hit star six and one uh, to comment. We'll bring you on air. I am monitoring uh, the conference line, but the studio line is 704-951-5030. If you want to give us a call, weigh in on the conversation, uh, please do so. You're listening to Political Prisoner Radio. Uh, we're going to transition. We're going to take a short break. Um, then when we come back, we want to transition, um, to the Palestinian activist, Rasmia O'Day. She holds American citizenship and she was recently, uh, convicted of, um, some sort of immigration charge. I'll take a look at that and get into the details. We will jump to that on the other side. And I'm also going to play a video, uh, that somebody produced about her. And because, you know, I don't know a whole lot of information we have had guests on in, in the past, but she's not really talked about a lot in the mainstream media. And when she has been, it has been to try to connect her to ICO and, you know, those CIA proxies that are killing a lot of people in the middle, so-called Middle East. So those, that's what we're looking forward to. Uh, on the other side, again, the studio line is 704-951-5030. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. 
Johan and Elia, host of the Abolitionist Daily and co-host of New Abolitionist Radio. What I first loved about the Black Talk Radio Network was how the programming was giving a voice to my passion. I loved that the broadcasts were able to teach me ways that I could help build a community that I want to be a part of. Now, just a few years later, and the Black Talk Radio Network features my voice, and I understand how valuable it is in changing lives. Malcolm X warned us to take the power of the media seriously. It was Malcolm who said the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent. He wasn't lying, and we know that it takes a strong and consistent media force to compete with the negative images and messages of misinformation which flow throughout the mainstream day and night. Well, the Black Talk Radio Network is that strong and consistent media force, offering a wide range of programming with topics from politics to faith, from health to pan-Africanism, black history, and the latest headlines are on Black Talk Radio News. 24 hours every day, seven days a week, live streaming and downloadable podcasts, all through a platform that is compatible with major outlets like TuneIn, iTunes, and stream seamlessly through mobile devices and even in your car. We do all we can to fulfill our end, researching, studying topics in depth so we can give informed commentary, inviting guests who are leaders in their professional and academic fields so we can hear from the experts. And when it comes to the grassroots, no one makes more connections and establishes relationships with the folks who are in the streets and at the meetings, the people who are actively protesting, agitating for a better world, and activating minds to join the struggle. In all of this, though, we need your help to make sure the message continues to go out all across this nation and across the world. The Black Talk Radio Network is listened to by tens of thousands of faithful listeners and adding new listeners every day. We need your help to continue the mission and grow the network. Come to the website, blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and click on the link to donate. Let's make sure we keep this new media going forward and as we go forward into this new millennium. Feeding on fear. Every day, every night, through various media, we feed on fear. We feast on it. It matters not the measure, nor its girth. We devour it, for we cannot get enough. So-and-so is coming. ISIS threatened, and we munch our muffins of terror. The nation throws billions into government and private security, and ends up more insecure than ever. New barriers are built. Cameras click on more and more street corners. More doors are locked. And fear grows. Since 9-11, a kind of madness erupted in the country. And after all is said and done, all the wars, all the carnage, all the loss has led to little more than pixie dust. Nothing. Newscasts have become fear casts as government and media converge to sow dragon's teeth of fear into the minds of millions. Coming up next, new threat. The road taken by this nation after 9-11 led to this mad, fear-drenched hour. It could only have led to this, for fear can only lead to fear. It feeds governments. It fuels media. It devours reason. Yet, it grows, eating us as we eat it. And we are still not full. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. And welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio. 
broadcasting right here on Black Talk Radio Network. That was uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, well-known voice throughout the world, internationally speaking out from behind bars on the issues of most of the time he doesn't even talk about himself. He talks about what's going on with us out here in the world. We're not even behind bars and he's worried about what's happening to the people. Uh, out here in the streets. That's all, I, you know, ju- that, I just really thought about that because we, you know, play his commentaries from time to time. And of course, we got to give a big shout out and a thank you to prisonradio.org for the work that they do um, and bring and going into these prisoners and bringing you their voices. So, you know, um, just giving voice to the voiceless. So appreciate um, Noelle Hammerhan and all the people who work with her through prison radio and the work that they do. Um, I don't think, uh, let me see. So let's, let's transition to, uh, am I pronouncing her name correctly, sis? Is it Ramzia Oda? Yes. Okay. Um, so she, I was, I did remember correctly. She was convicted in just this past November on a single charge of unlawful procurement of naturalization. Um, So that's one charge that she was convicted of. And I I think it, you know, that charge stems from when she came over here from Palestine. Right. When? In the 60s, 70s, um, a long time ago, I assume. Right. It was several decades ago um she was a palestinian activist and organizer Mm -hmm. right she was a palestinian activist and organizer and um considered to be a very you know radical woman and had been incarcerated um in palestine occupied palestine and she eventually decided that you know, she was going to, you know, uh, immigrate to the United States. And in her um, application for um, the permanent status, she did not indicate that she had a political history or any kind of, you know, uh, specific charges of what the United States is claiming. Um, so basically, she's being punished for... You know her activism and you know this is just the ongoing um pro zionist pro israeli united states attack on her as right. well as you know other academics right yeah um so she basically you know was a palestinian political prisoner you know from right. her time and i think i remember reports of her even being raped and tortured while she was right. held by the Israelis. So um that is what she didn't divulge that information when she fled uh Palestine, probably fled for her life, you know, um, but back in when nineteen it was in the uh, late nineteen sixties, I think. I might have been one or two years old. I'm nineteen sixty seven, I believe. Um so yeah, let me play this clip. I wanna run to this clip. And because, you know, she also wasn't just a activist for Palestine, but she, you know, um, 
with Muslims, the way they're being portrayed and have been, is particularly since 9-11, um, they have become targets and whatnot. Here in North Carolina, uh, three Muslim students was executed uh, by, by this racist suspect, uh, suspect white supremacist. So um, she has long also been an uh, activist on those issues as well. And she, I believe, um, didn't she help build or found the Arab Women's Committee in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, she's got, you know, a, a long history of community activism and, and organizing uh, within the uh, Palestinian community and, and, and Muslim community in the United States. So I'm going to go ahead and, and roll this clip um, that was made about her fairly recently. And it's titled American Community Leader Ras- Rasmia Oldas, the story of a uh, Palestinian activist. <laughs> Welcome to Rukla Program, Bilahdan, a show with an accent for those without one. We're talking about, you know, activism in this country and how the FBI and law enforcement are picking uh, out on uh, minority, African-Americans, Muslim-Americans. They call it extremes index. You know, how do they measure, measure that in public school, mosque? It's beyond me. Also, out of all of this, we all heard about the 67 years old Palestinian Americans, uh, Rasmiya Oda. She's been on trial last November, I think, and she's been fighting deportation. She's been fighting, uh, law enforcement, been accused her for all sorts of things, for being an activist, for being a supporter of the Palestinian causes. We have here a very special guest. We have Jesse Sundan. She is with Anti-War Committee. Uh, they had an event last week, uh, uh, you know, like uh, streaming, uh, talking to uh, Miss Oda, uh, a nationwide event where people were able to ask questions and uh, hear her, uh, Miss uh, Oda, hear, uh, hear her voice and hear her grievance because she's actually not allowed to leave Chicago, am I correct about this? Yes. So tell, tell us about, uh, uh, welcome, thank you thank for you, coming. Thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I, I attended that event that the anti-committee, uh, anti-war committee took uh, place in a very nice, warm, uh, cozy place, and we had the chance, this is the first time I saw Ms. Ora, and I listened to her, and listen, this is a bizarre stuff. Yeah. So tell us a little bit how do you arrange that and uh, and uh, kind of uh, uh, the chance that people actually listen sure. uh, to her grievance and what's been accused of. Well, Rasmia has been in the United States for 20 years and a citizen for 10. In the fall of 2013, she was arrested on charges of violating her immigration procedures. And since that arrest, people around the country have been waking up and learning about her story um, and, and really trying to rally around her. The fact is that she's been on bond since October and not able to travel. Um, but nonetheless, people have been following the events. Um, a lot of people from the Twin Cities, but from across the Midwest, attended her trial in November, which took place in Detroit. Um, but this was our first chance to really have her be able to reach people around the country, those that have been supporting her for the last 
almost a year and a half now. So what's it, what is she accused of? When uh, she's accused of um, unlawful for procurement of citizenship. What does that and mean? The government says that when Rasmia came to the United States, she didn't accurately portray her past, and she didn't report her arrest by an Israeli military tribute uh, by Israeli soldiers, and her conviction in an Israeli military tribunal, and her subsequent imprisonment. Um, they say that now they're look- looking back at her materials twenty years after she arrived. Um, we understand that she's being looked at, that this immigration charge is really a pretext. They looked into her past because of her association with um, the Palestinian cause, the growing boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, and, um, and other activists who have been targeted by FBI but investigation. America is all about people being wrongly accused and arrested all over the world. So being yeah. accused by... An occupier, a Zionist state, an apartheid state, for uh, for a lot of people. Uh, this is not. Uh, is this a crime? Well, was it a crime and a crime, or a crime in the sense political crime? Or Rasmia is absolutely innocent. She was convicted on the basis of a confession that was extracted after weeks of physical and sexual torture at the hands of her Israeli captors. That was the basis of her conviction. We did not wear in the court that his, his forced confession will not stand? In the United States, at least as I understand the yeah. rule of law here, it wouldn't stand. However, the judges in the United States have accepted the Israeli authorities' uh, statements on the matter without reviewing the actual backstory. And when Rasmia was on trial in Detroit, she wasn't allowed to, in fact, the judge reprimanded her before she spoke and as she was testifying that she wasn't to make any reference to her experience when she was arrested, even though this is the basis of her now being prosecuted here and thrown out of the country. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was it was this a shocking like, thing to witness. This is like a CC judge. You know, <laughs> it's a political... you know more about that than me, but I, I suspect you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how our law enforcement, with all this ideal text, constitution, and all that, but it comes down to uh, uh, some white old man interpretation of something, or some yeah. uh, you know racist, or some whatever. So interpretation is more important than the text. Yeah, the prosecutors in this case um, were extremely racist. In fact, they are, she's not the first Palestinian that they have gone after. And one of the prosecutors in her case, um, her case actually landed on their desk via a prosecutor that was responsible for prosecuting the Holy Land Foundation directors mm-hmm. uh, 10 years ago now. Um, you know, These are people who've made a career of prosecuting Palestinians in particular, about Arabs and Muslims in general. And Rasmia has been caught up in, you know, they, they, they looked at Rasmia's case and I think they thought they could have an easy exit here. The fact is they haven't had that. She is an icon. She was the first woman to testify to the United Nations about the mistreatment of Palestinian women prisoners at the hands of the Israeli authorities. And the whole world knows her story. Certainly Palestinians everywhere know her story. And in Chicago, where she's lived for the last 10 years, she's an important community leader of the Arab Women's Committee. She works with 600 mostly new immigrant women and refugee women, um, 
she's a mentor and a leader and much beloved. And so she's a tough cookie. I mean, she's, she's a tough cookie. Almost eighty years old, and she was coming and and she very strong. She's yeah. not intimidated by all of that. No, I mean her life has been shattered, but. She's a very strong woman, and she has a, a like a dream team lawyer, doesn't she? Yes, absolutely. She has a number of fantastic lawyers: uh, Michael Deutsch, David Cunningham, Jim Fennerty, and uh, Bill Goodman are the team working on her case. Um, and they, I think, they did a great job. The fact is, even though the judge again and again tried to prevent her from testifying, it was very clear throughout her trial they put Israel on trial. And they this used, is the thing. Yeah, they, they put on the record the many crimes of Israel, even though, you know, she was really gagged in large part from telling her own story. Everyone who was at the trial in the court record shows, you know, the reality of the Nakba, the destruction, the theft of the Palestinian land. You know, she became a refugee when she was a few months old. She was born a few months after the Nakba, the establishment of the state of Israel and Palestine. So she land. is the story of Palestine. She is, absolutely. Why the media is not covering all of this? There's been a little coverage of her story, but the fact is, in the mainstream media, a lot of the stories have been heavily influenced by Zionist propaganda. Um, in fact, present at her trial in Detroit um, was the brother and family of folks who say, uh, of people say that there were two people killed in a bombing. This is the thing that the confession uh, linked her to back in is by the Israelis. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their family was at the trial, and the U.S. prosecutors hugging him during the, tri- in, the in between the proceedings and saying, uh, "You know, we'll get her for you." Um, really, it was very in the prosecution and also the media has tried to paint her as a terrorist, and that's not who she is, and it's never who she was. She was always a political person. You know, at this point, she was a young person. Part of a resistance every, to try to Palestinian win Palestinian this. freedom back, you know? Yeah. And so, um, but of course in the United States, the Palestinian story, um, isn't often told with much honesty. So. That's why you are here. Yes. <laughs> but t- tell us about her. Uh, the, she's going to be on trial soon. So the trial happened in November. Okay. Oh, so and what's she, happening on that? Uh, she was convicted. March 12th is when she comes for sentencing. Okay. She returns to Detroit, which is where the trial happened. It's where she first immigrated to the United so States. This is a federal... It's a federal case. So you cannot uh, appeal? You can appeal, absolutely, and, and she will appeal. Okay. The appeal can't begin until after the sentencing. That's okay. sort of the, the rules. Yeah. But we're having... Hundreds of people are going to Detroit. I'll be there... A lot of people are coming from the Twin Cities, but of course, many from Chicago. But I even know of at least one person who's coming from Florida. I think people are coming from all over. We want to stand with her at the hearing so that she's not alone. Uh, we want to bear witness. But we've, all, we've also been working hard to collect letters to the judge asking him to be lenient in his sentencing mm-hmm. and to not imprison her while she awaits the results of well, her she, appeal. She, her health is uh, failing, isn't it? Yeah, she had trouble. She was jailed after the initial verdict for a month. Um, through pressure, we got her released, but yeah, the jails are cold. You don't have blankets. She is older. She had trouble with her blood pressure, couldn't get her medication she needed. The fact is, for an older person, certainly for anyone, jail isn't a comfortable place. But it's really difficult. So what is this trial all about? Really, this, this trial. All, I mean, she is old. Obviously, it's not as active as she used to, but she symbolized something that this trial is trying to put on, uh, uh, you know, put on trial. Yeah, I think this trial is a trial against the Palestinian Liberation Movement, quite simply. And she's a, 
an absolutely a hero of that movement and um, continues to be. And she's an elder to young people who are coming up now. We have college campuses across the country that have really strong campaigns as part of the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And they're all under attack. And I think attacking an elder and a community leader like her is part and parcel of that same attack attempt to silence it. So, uh, they haven't managed to silence her. So, yeah, we're still piping her in over the Internet. and uh, She's inspiring a lot of people. She really is, yeah. So uh, if somebody wants to come to Chicago or want to get involved in this, how yeah. do you get a hold of you? Um, I think the easiest way, they can uh, check out her, our website, Fortis Mia. It's a national website. That's Justice, the number four, Resmia. R-A-S-M-E-A. Justice for Rasmia. Dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they are local and want to arrange going traveling together, they can email us at info at antiwarcommittee.org. And we'll put this on. Okay, uh, thank thanks. you. Well, thank you so much for coming here. Good luck with your effort. Uh, you. You've been, been a troublemaker. Uh, uh, Sunday, but uh, for a for a good thing. Try yeah, to make we, a little justice. Exactly, we need to wake up those high-paid judges, make them work overtime. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and thank good you. luck with uh, me and cause and uh, and uh, you know. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. And welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio. My name, of course, is Scotty Rewriting Shotgun and Sister Omijo. And, um, one of the things that this guy said, or she said, uh, really in, in that interview, and I'm sorry, I don't know who produced that. Um, I try to give credit wherever we play clips like that, but, uh, the person who uploaded it to YouTube, it didn't have that information. So, uh, but anyway, one of the things she said, like I was asking earlier, you know, why, why all this hate and, and vindictiveness towards uh, Albert Woodfoss or any other political prisoners. And like she said, they represent something. Rasmia is a symbol, the Palestinian resistance to racism and white supremacy, you know, being practiced against it by the, um, it's, um, UN created nation of Israel. And so the same goes with, you know, people like Albert Woodfoss. They are symbols of black resistance to white terrorism and, Therefore, they don't want them to be any kind of inspiration to future, you know, uh, people who would dare to struggle and dare to win. Uh, would you agree with that, Sister Mijo? Absolutely. And I just wanted to, um, piggyback on, um, what the, um, sister had said. She brought up, uh, information about the Holy Land Fox. And a lot of people are not familiar or probably never even heard of the Holy Land Fox. Uh, but the Holy Land Five were individuals that were part of a organization, a foundation that have been um, incarcerated, and they were harassed via the uh, United States uh, Patriot Act. And one of the provisions within the Patriot Act um, identified that organizations, um, community groups, and charities were not to supposedly have any kinds of uh, material association um, or provide material support to um, any number of groups, individuals, and associations on a specialized U.S. government list 
And even though the Holy Land Fives and Allied Associates and Organizations were, it was never clearly proven that people were uh, giving material support to alleged um, terrorist organizations or that the U.S. would define as terrorist organizations, um, that they were, you know, that people hadn't done anything wrong. So uh, the Holy Land Five still remains, you know, incarcerated today. Um, and it's another, you know, travesty of justice and the symbolism in the fight of, you know, the Palestinian struggle. You know, as many of our post-9-11, you know, political prisoners, you know, represent the, the Muslim and Islamic, you know, resistance uh, across the world. And and also, you know, um, since we are talking about Palestine, um, Mm -hmm. there was a chapter, just a historical note. There was a chapter of the Black Panther Party uh, in Palestine. Mm -hmm. Isn't that correct, sis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Panther Party had uh, several international chapters, Palestine, Australia. um, People traveled to, you know, Algiers. And and, um, and and also, you know, she mentioned the media, the Zionist media. And, of course, that's why I'm engaged in the work that I'm engaged in because Malcolm X, through a video I watched of him talking about the power of the media, has me engaged along with others in, you know, our media activities. But she talked about, um, you know, the bad media coverage, Zionist media, as she called it. And we know how uh, COINTEL pro work with the media and we see it today you know there's collusion between the corporate media and the state okay when i say the state that that take your pick louisiana any state in this so-called union or in this corporation called the united states of america or if we're talking about the federal government and and so and so you know a lot of times black people and I'm speaking to the black community right now is we think that this is not our, our fight and that we shouldn't be in solidarity and we got issues right here. And I agree with that. We do got pressing issues right here at home. Slavery is being practiced. It was never abolished. Tune in the new abolitionist radio or the abolitionist daily on this network. And you will get more information on, on that subject. Um, you know, and and so we have to do what we have to do. Oh, yeah, my point was is that a lot of us don't even realize that there are a lot of black people who are Palestinians that have lived here for hundreds of years. But for some reason, we're not shown their pictures by the mainstream media. Okay, and I guess that's done in a reason uh, for a reason because they they're playing that that white hatred towards Arabs. You know what I'm saying? So they're not going to show black people because also, you know, they want to keep us from identifying with the oppression of Arabs or Muslims. And and so, I mean, you got any thoughts on that? I mean, because I, I see people saying, you know, in the black community mm-hmm. who be saying, you know, this is not our fight and why you promoting that or why you talking about that. And I'm 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 discovering the long history uh, that we had with Palestine in that fight for liberation. Right. And I mean, one should always have, you know, an international perspective and have international allies. You know, many, you know, of our, you know, great scholars and, you know, you have mentioned, you know, Malcolm X, 
you know, traveling around the world and, you know, relating to um, different communities. Um, we should be doing that. Um, I mean, you may have people who just may focus on a, a local level, um, but, you know, should act locally and think globally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I do want to uh transition, but again, you know, just uh, um, I'm, I was listening to that clip and how she was raped and tortured and and all that. We're talking about sick, evil, vile people, and then right now, you know, um, there's an attack on blackness, and you know, President Obama is red, white, and blue. Um, that's who he works for. He, the chief executive officer of the United States of America. Therefore, he is part of the system that is oppressing everyone. But there is a certain level where he's mistreated or based on the color of his skin. And I think Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, who will be given a speech invited by Congress to come and, and speak out and try to undermine the talks that the Obama administration is in with Iran over its nuclear uh, program. You know, they just saying this is, you know, beyond the pale. This is beyond the norm. This is, you know, out. This is outside of the protocols that have been established for a prime minister without going through, you know, the um, executive branch being invited to speak, you know, and, and so, um, I have written about and, you know, read a lot about Benjamin Netanyahu's, you know, relationship with President Obama. And a lot of it is I could just see just pure hatred for the man, despite of all the United States does to uphold racism and white supremacy. You know, they still see Barack Obama as, you know, I'm just going to say it, a nigga. And I, I just, I'm like, wow, you know, and, and, and then before we came on air, I read that. President Obama had threatened to shoot down uh Israeli warplanes if they tried to uh attack um nuclear facilities in Iran. So I mean it, it's a whole lot of interesting history um that people like Rasmia and others are caught up in between the United States, the Israel and, and you know the Palestinians. You got any thoughts before we transition? Um no, I mean, just exactly what you said. There's a long, you know, a long history here. Um, but even, you know, prior to, you know, the occupied territory, um, you know, when you get into the history of it, prior to, I guess, the cutting of the Suez Canal, all that area, you know, was, was connected. And, and commonly, you know, when people start talking about Egypt and certain territories and certain lands, you know, they'll often try to, you know, carve it off of, you know, the continent of Africa and not look at people, you mm -hmm. know, as African people. And like you were saying, like this constant portrayal of, you know, fair-skinned or European-looking individuals. And even in, what was that, that other film that came out recently, um, Exodus that everybody was talking about that was just so extremely beyond racist that all the characters would be white. Um, but that's, you know, some serious history there that there is all of these inter, you know, interconnections prior to 
you know, uh, the creation of Israel and, you know, ongoing now where some of the, um, smokestack canisters that were used in Ferguson is the same from the same company that deploys, you know, the smoke bombs in, in, in Israel against the Palestinians. And the fact that a lot of the, uh, police forces in the United States have gone to train and occupy Palestine to oppress um, the community there to come back and oppress communities here. Um, there's many historical relations, um, even, you know, with the, uh, the concept of apartheid states and how the transportation system is done there and even connecting the Palestinian movement and the Palestinian struggle to the indigenous struggle in the United States of you know, the the Jewish settlers, um, you know, stealing the land and occupying the territory and killing the people and shoving them inside of fenced off areas. Um, there's a lot of lot of interconnections between different struggles from different communities. Well, we want to transition and so um there it, this is an upcoming event. And uh, this will, uh, there will be political demonstrations uh, called No Separate Justice. And that's taking place this Monday, March the 2nd. And that is from 6 to 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time outside the Metropolitan Correctional Center. That's the MCC in Lower Manhattan, New York. It's a federal prison where people accused of so-called terrorism-related offenses have been held in solitary confinement for years, even before they have been tried. And what's interesting to me about this story, you know, well, there's many interesting things about it, but Guantanamo Bay, um, there's this whole political conversation that's been going on for a couple of years, President Obama uh, promising to close Guantanamo and then the Republicans blocking the funding that will be needed to, you know, uh, close Guantanamo and then talking about, uh, bringing those transfer, uh, transferring prisoners to supermax facilities here in the United States. Republicans don't even want to go for that. And then, you know, the whole time we have always known that the prisons, the prisons, and take your pick, federal, state prisons, private prisons are hell holes in the United States and people are, are being treated in, in, you know, the same horrific manner of the stories we hear coming out of Guantanamo. You know, uh, Rasmia, we were talking about how she was tortured, a confession was tortured out of her. You know, Chicago, John Burge, you know, many, 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 I mean, just so many stories of law enforcement torturing people. I mean, there's just so many untold stories, you know, that we would have to really do some digging to come up with. But a lot like the John Burge case in Chicago has been well known. And now this guy, Richard Zuli, who's a retired lieutenant, was down there in Guantanamo Bay uh, torturing people, a, a retired Chicago lieutenant, police uh, lieutenant. So d they're demonstrating against this what is described in this clip I'm going to play as little get mo and it's going on right here on American soil. So just right. the whole and Scotty yeah. the, the no separate justice. Mm -hmm. Um no separate justice is specifically um an organization that works with um our post nine eleven political prisoners. And one of the one of the key cases 
that is associated to No Separate Justice is uh, Tyreek Muhammad. And some of the other cases that we've actually covered on um, certain segments of uh, PT Radio. Um, so our No Separate Justice political prisoners generally are not going to be listed as Jericho and or um, ABC. So sometimes there's a little bit of overlap between the different political prisoner groups, but I would definitely encourage our listeners um, to go check out the No Separate Justice website to learn more about the specific cases that No Separate Justice deals with. Right, right. And so let me just get this information for our roll this clip. Um, it says for their March 2nd vigil, the no justice, excuse me, no separate justice speakers will be providing updates on a number of recent developments, campaigns and cases, which include Amnesty International's petition asking for UN special rapporteur on torture, Juan Mendez. And we just talked about him earlier in connection to Albert Woodfox's case to be allowed access into U.S. supermax prisons, including state and federal facilities where people are held in pretrial solitary confinement like the MCC. Uh, the U.S. Torture Report in a historical overview of torture on a federal, state, and city level in the United States. Uh, speakers will talk about reflections on the Obama administration's now six-year promise to close Guantanamo, which I just got through talking about, an update on the treatment, in trials of British extradite Abu Hamza al-Mazri, who has been held at MCC for the past three years and who has numerous physical ailments, including no hands and waning eyesight. The oral arguments presented on January 13th in Hassan versus the city of New York, a federal case against the NYPD targeting and surveillance of uh, Muslim communities in New Jersey. I remember that uh, case. And so it says, please join us on March 2nd as we continue to build a growing voice of people of conscience and shine a light together to expose the human rights abuses happening across our country in these cases, which have plenty of signs to share. Uh, We have plenty of signs to share. So, again, this is going to be held again in New York, in lower Manhattan, at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. Uh, it starts at 6 o'clock. Um, it's just going to be an hour long, 6 to 7 o'clock uh, p.m. And that, of course, is uh, in Eastern time. Um, I want to go ahead and, and roll with this clip about, you know, MCC. And, again, they were calling it, this is a RT report, and they were calling it, like, you know, um, a little Gitmo. So uh, let me see if I can find that. Okay, here we go, right here. Justice for all sounds nice, but it's not the case for many Americans incarcerated. The U.S. has the highest prison population in the world. Thousands are serving life sentences for nonviolent crimes. One out of every 100 adults lives behind bars in the United States, with some one in 31 in some sort of correctional control. The United States, with 5% of the world's population, makes up 25% of the world's prison population. The majority of U.S. prisons include occupancy requirements mandating that local or state government keep those facilities between 80 and 100 percent full. So the state must keep those beds full at all costs. 
But the thing is, they're not just keeping those prisons full with U.S. citizens. America is just fine with incarcerating other countries' citizens. Guantanamo will be closed uh, no later than one year from now. As president, I have tried to close Gitmo. I continue to believe that we've got to close Guantanamo. Yes, where have I heard that before? Indefinite detention, dire conditions, and human rights activists protesting at his doorstep? You might think I'm talking about Guantanamo, but no. Behind these gray walls in lower Manhattan, yes, the very heart of New York City, is Little Gitmo. The U.S. holds terror suspects here, including alleged Osama bin Laden accomplices. It's called the Metropolitan Correctional Center. But there's a bunch of people being held at MCC that have never been charged, just detained indefinitely, and have no connection to the outside world. You know, they're not allowed to talk to the press. They might see one family member once every few months. Sometimes during the trials, the lawyers uh, that are defending the accused are not allowed to see the evidence the government is bringing against them. This trend is becoming business as usual when it comes to America's judiciary system. Usual, but illegal. Joining me in the now is Hamja Akhstan. He's the brother of an inmate who spent almost eight years behind bars without sentence. Hamja, thanks for joining us. Your brother, Talha, has been transferred from one center to another, from the UK to the US and so on. Tell us a little bit about his story. Um, Talha was um, detained without trial or charge for over six and a half years in Britain. He's a British citizen. He's never set foot in the United States. And since the U.S. has put an extradition request um, on him, um, he, he was yeah, detained without trial. was one of the longest periods in British history. He's now been in solitary confinement in a death row prison in Connecticut um, since October 2012. Um, it's outrageous these things can happen, especially for a British citizen who never actually set foot in, in, in the United States territory. Tell us more um, about the Dallas, actual extradition um, process. Why did Britain give him up? Um, well, Britain bulldozed a load of laws um, uh, under when Blair and Bush were best friends, and so they introduced this extradition law in 2003, meaning any British citizen or guest, you know, even if they've never been there or never left their bedroom, um, can be um, extradited to the United States. Um, and the law is still the same, despite many pro-American conservatives even speaking against it, and 88% of British MPs speaking against it. And, um, and it's also abolished basic rights in Britain, like habeas corpus or the presumption of innocence before proven guilty. And um, people are in these horrifying nightmares. I mean, you can imagine what a horrifying ordeal it has been for my family. Um, Dallas accused of being associate of a website from about 1997 to 2001. So we're talking about, you know, uh, well over a decade ago. Um, to say it's like um, disproportionate is a sort of understatement. Not only that, Dallas actually has Asperger syndrome and um, assessed um, self-harm risks. And, you know, it's, it's absolutely horrible that he's put into a prison system where 50% of suicides uh, take place um, according to their own statistics, which is in prolonged solitary confinement, which Dahl has been in since his extradition. What do you know about this detention centre in Connecticut? Is it much like the MCC in Manhattan? Oh, um it's it's a supermax prison and everybody's in isolation and um, there's always disturbing reports of um, suicides attempts and um, some really extreme forms of self-harm. I remember Dallas saying one of the prison cells looked like a slaughterhouse giving someone a 
mutilate themselves so badly. Um, that is actually going to be transferred to Metropolitan Correctional Centre in New York um, in late July, um, which is an even worse prison to the extent that um, some of the Gu- Guantanamo attorneys, like uh, Joshua Dreitel, said that was like the one prison that he thought was worse than Guantanamo. And we should also remember about Guantanamo, about what, what it grows out of, which is the US domestic supermax system, because all these things like forced feeding, um, you know, prolonged solitary confinement, um, uh, forced cell extraction when you gas out a cell to some strokes, they're all practices that were modelled on the domestic supermax system. Some of the conditions in places like California and ADX Florence are even worse. We had 30,000 prisoners go on hunger strike in California. Um, some people haven't even touched their own relatives because, you know, so we don't even know if my mum can hug her own son again. It's it's it's, it's horrifying. It's, it's, it's one of these um, human rights things which should be first on the agenda. The United Nations Special Rapporteur of Tortures even said this type of thing should be abolished and it constitutes torture. Do you think that you'll ever see your brother again? Um, I'm hoping that the British and American governments will work together to bring him home. However, there's no actual guarantee of repatriation in the extradition arrangements. So he could be in a horrible uh, prison like ADX Florence, um, which even um, America won't allow um, Amnesty International or the United Nations to visit. So you wonder what they're hiding. And, you know... um, Long-term solitary confinement up for longer than 15 days, which constitutes torture, according to the United Nations Special Rapporteur, torture, um, you know, causes irreversible de- mental damage. So I, I really worry, you know, what state he's going to be in after all this um, years in isolation. Hamja Ahskan, thank you so much for being in the now and sharing the story of your brother, Talha. Thank, thank you. Well, we've heard how eagerly the U.K. extradites its citizens to the U.S., but it turns out that it's just a drop in the ocean when it comes to Britain's input into the U.S. incarceration system. This is a British-administered island in the Indian Ocean called Diego Garcia. According to a U.S. Senate committee report, it was used as a secret black site detention center by the CIA. Americans decided to come clean, but now the British government, which covered up the story, faces tough public questions. Back at home. Welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio and prisons, 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 prisons everywhere. I mean, it's just crazy. I try to tell people, man, that, you know, slavery was never abolished. They just snatch you up, do whatever, kidnap you. Um, again, this also um, reminds me of the latest story about, uh, what is it, Holman Square or something like that in Chicago, this warehouse. Yeah, what's, what's that? No, I was just saying, yeah. Um, what's your, Holman Square, I think it is. Uh, it, but anyway, this torture warehouse where they were taken, um, from what I heard, mostly poor black and Hispanic people and torturing them and, and into confessions and things of that nature, just all kind of uh, manner of things. It's like, you know, I can't tell the police sometimes, be t- you know, I can't tell the difference between them and the CIA. I mean, obviously they all work together. So Right, and I was made aware of in one of the newspaper articles that I read that one of the NATO three political prisoners um, had been housed there, and in Chicago you know, or in MCC. Yeah, in yeah, in that uh, that that he was confined to that uh, that 
that site in Chicago. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah, people, it's real out here. You know, all, we're not trying to scare anyone or put fear in your heart. Just trying to inform you to let you know what kind of world you live in. What's literally just lurking right around the corner. And so, I mean, the only way that we can transform society or transform this world and solve the problems is, you know, we have to have the information. We have to know that these problems exist first and, and foremost, because you got a lot of people that don't even acknowledge these problems, you know. Right. I mean, <laughs> one of the things that I have been working on, you know, in, in our state here is looking at uh, solitary confinement. And, you know, I've dealt with somebody from the Department of Corrections that has constantly you know, in two recent hearings have told um, people that Maryland don't do solitary confinement and ain't did solitary confinement since the 80s. And that's just a flat out lie, you mm-hmm. know, and they don't want to, they don't want to give up the information and the data to show that they are torturing people. They don't want people to know that some folks in Maryland are, are, are being violated and they've been in solitary confinement for, for decades. Well, I, I just don't see, you know, in the face of all of this media that uh, I don't see how we have not reached critical mass yet. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, it, it's in the media. RT, you can consider it corporate mainstream, even though it's funded by the Russian government. Um, and they have, you know, their uh, headquarters here in the United States, RT America and whatnot. And it's pretty mainstream. And, and you know, I know Russia ha- certainly has an agenda, but, hey, you should be able to judge the news and the facts for yourself. And they, you know, quite frankly, do a pretty good job in covering a lot of stuff from uh, uh, different angles that you won't see taken on any corporate um, news um offering whether that be so-called liberal or right wing so yeah um yeah well i think we got one more event that we want to announce um anything that's on your mind right now sis other than uh this uh political prisoner letter writing dinner and card signing for women's history month so it's march one uh black i mean excuse me women's history month um i just wanted to to give a shout out to um Brother Hamja, who has, we've connected, um, via Facebook and he has come in and out of the country to fight on behalf of, of his brother. And I just wanted to give him, um, a special shout out. And he was the one that spoke in that interview. In the RT interview? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And he actually, he's actually very supportive of um black liberation and has connected with uh elders and leaders like uh the Rub of Ben Wahad and um has been in touch and I think he's even, you know, maybe written to a few of our political prisoners. So, you know, he's he's pretty he's pretty active and supportive and as we were saying earlier about, you know, reaching <laughs> reaching across the table and you know, grabbing another brother and another sister's hand and, you know, having the United Front. So. Well, the last event that we want to inform you about is going to occur on Tuesday, March the 3rd, and it's a card signing for Women's History uh, Month. Again, for the program uh, promo description, I have linked to this. Um, I also will post it 
under our post for tonight's program on Political Prisoner Radio's Facebook page. Um, I guess I should also mention that I've already posted the uh, free Rasmia all day uh, justice for Rasmia. You can go to justice, the number four Rasmia, that's R-A-S-M-E-A dot O-R-G, justice for Rasmia dot O-R-G. I posted that link there. That's the quickest way uh, to get to us. And I'm posting this one as well, which is on the NYC Anarchist Black Cross uh, WordPress site, which is nycabc.wordpress.com. And so Tuesday night at 7 o'clock p.m. sharp, they will um, gather at the base, and that is at 1302 Myrtle Avenue, which is in Brooklyn, New York. All right, so again, that's 1302 Myrtle Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'll just read a little bit about um, what this event is going to entail, but this is what they wrote. They said, so cops in Chicago now function like the thugs of the CIA by having a black site where they torture and disappear folks they arrest. Let that set in for a minute. Chicago cops with a storied history of corruption and brutality operate an off-the-books compound where they interrogate folks. Ask many of the prisoners we support, and they'll describe similar torture during their detentions and or imprisonments. Speaking of supporting political prisoners, it's time again for the Every Other Week NYC ABC Political Prisoner Letter Writing Dinner. In this month of Women Histories, of woman's history, we offer our solidarity to female rebels. Come find out more about Debbie. Um, and she's talking about Debbie. They're talking about Debbie Africa, Janet Africa, and Janine Africa of the Move Nine or the Move family. Uh, Maya Chase, Chelsea Manning, Reverend, uh, Reverend Joy Powell, Megan Rice, and Rebecca Rubin. We'll also have other political prisoner news, so come and enjoy a meal with friends, new or old. So again, that is occurring uh, this Tuesday. It will be at 1302 Myrtle Avenue, uh, which is in Brooklyn, New York. It, it seems that New York is where all of these political prisoner events be going down. Um, I don't I hardly hear about them in places like Atlanta or Dallas or Philadelphia or Chicago or, you know what I'm saying? Why, why is that, Sister Mijo? It seems New York is the hot spot for, you know, I guess radical thinking. Um, no, I mean, it's happening all across the country that we're just being, you know, we're, we're being advised of actions that are happening in New York. Um, there are Jericho groups across the country. There are ABC groups across the country. Um, they just may not be as vocal or, you know, get their information more out across the country. But, you know, events and actions are happening all across the country. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Well, we're, I... we're just we're just tapped more so into New York because you're getting um, the Jericho email. Okay. All right, so I guess you know again it, and and formations and formations of different organizations are different across the country. you know it might be more solidarity happening you know in New York across different political prisoner groups, and those formations may not exist somewhere else, 
Okay. All right. All right. So I guess I should say if you know of any political prisoners or you're part of any kind of political advocacy groups and, and you have some sort of event, we want to hear about it. We want to tell people about it, you know, um, it, no matter where it is. So please send that information to us. You can send it to me directly. Uh, the easiest way is admin at blacktalkradionetwork.com. That is admin. That's A-D-M-I-N at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Um, yeah, or I guess we should start checking the wall. I'm, I don't really notice on our Facebook page. I do see from time to time people will post upcoming events, so y'all could do that there as well, and we'll make sure we check and get it out over the air. Well, since right. that, that – Oh. Yeah. Yeah, two things I just wanted to, to bring up. I know there are some things happening with the Dallas Six. And, um, you know, sisters were on our show once before talking about the Dallas Six, and I could forward uh, additional information. Um, and then there was a um, situation down in uh, St. Clair Prison down in Alabama, and I've been getting uh, messages from uh, Brother Ray. And I just wanted to, I guess one of my last comments would be, you know, the shout out the solidarity to oh, the, free uh, the free Alabama, Alabama movement. movement. Yeah, yeah, the St. Clair Correctional uh, Center. Yeah, that slipped my mind. Um, yeah. The latest that I heard was that they're on total lockdown now. Um, right. I have been reporting on it and actually calling the prison uh, last week during the weekdays. And, you know, what happened was is they are planning like a work stoppage to protest inhumane treatment and demand human rights as well as um, um, discussion on the Bill of Rights that they have written, you know, for prisoners, for the state. They want this to be passed into legislation, and they're pretty organized. And so um, the warden Davenport uh, somehow got wind of this planned work stoppage that's supposed to occur uh, this week. Um, if not today, it might have started um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, they have been on total lockdown and, you know, they had reported to us on the outside that, you know, they were sicking what the squad teams on them or the riot teams or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so people had called to, you know, let them know that we on the outside know what's going on on the inside. And so we got a report that they backed off the riot teams. But the last thing I heard today was that, now the prison is on total lockdown. So, yeah, shout out to the uh, Free Alabama Movement. Uh, shout out to those immigrants down there that uh, have been engaged in uh, rebellion against prison slavery down there in Willisee, uh County Correctional Facility in uh, Willisee County, Texas. So, yeah, um, is that it? That you, Nothing else, sis? I can't think of anything. No, I think that's it. All right, that's it. So we will be back on air next week with another episode of Political Prisoner Radio. Uh, we broadcast every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And, you know, I hope that when people tune in to our network that they try to tune turn other people on or tune other people in uh to this network and to this broadcast. And because, you know, a lot of work goes into, you know, the... um what we do in bringing you news and information 
and uh, other uh, programming that we bring over the Black Talk Radio Network. A lot of people working together. Uh, well, I wouldn't say a lot of people. It's probably less than 10 of us. Uh, but we put in a lot of work in making sure that we present the information that's not necessarily being presented through the mainstream. So, um, gotta spread the word. That's the only way that, uh, we can grow this knowledge and, and spread this information is to personally share it with others. So y'all be safe, um, as y'all get ready to start the traditional work week here in the United States of America and always recognize that you live behind enemy lines that we live in a war zone and you can get shot down uh the great malcolm x grassroots movement said if you're a black person every 28 hours um i'm working on getting somebody on black talk radio news to talk about the recent report that shows that um indigenous americans uh people um, indigenous people first nation people are the most uh, incarcerated, uh, in this country in terms of, you know, their numbers, you know, like something like 50, 60% of Native American youth end up in juvenile detention facilities. So, you know, for their less than 1% of the total population, um, they are really, really disproportionately you know, um, incarcerated and it doesn't get a lot of attention. So I'm hoping to put together some programs on that this week. Another reason to stay tuned in to the network. So uh, make sure y'all tune in tomorrow to Black Talk Radio News with yours truly, Scotty Reed, at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. All right, this is Political Prisoner Radio signing off. So we do whatever we do to survive. Bro. Drop it! love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 